0: Welcome to a Hotel Analyst podcast special, Uh, this time we're Uh, Here with two partners from the law firm Taylor Westing, who, uh, as a firm, are patron sponsors of the Operational Real Estate Festival, which will be taking place in London on the twentieth of September. If you'd like to find out more about the event, pop along to the website uh, www.op-re.com. Now, Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst, has been busy putting the programme together for the conference, Uh, so we'll pass over him to to him in a minute. But just let's first find out uh, uh, who these two characters are. First off, we bring you Richard Bursby. Richard, what's your brief at Taylor-Wessing? Hi there. Um, So I head up the Hotels, Hospitality and Leisure Group at at Taylor-Wessing and I've advised a mix of owners, operators, funders and developers on a variety of hotel and hospitality projects in the UK, Europe and around the world. And we also have Paul Leamy with us.
1: Uh, hi, Chris. Uh, yeah, Paul Leamy, a partner in the real estate team at Taylor Wessing. Um, my focus in, in my practice is on real estate development, particularly in the uh, all things living, uh, so the living sector.
2: Welcome, one and all, um, and to our regular listeners, we're going to slightly diverge off our path um, of hotel only uh, talk. Um dealing with the wider uh, sector of operational real estate. And I think it'd uh, be appropriate to start with the question, what is operational real estate?
0: For me, operational real estate is where you have uh, a business such as a hotel, student, senior living, co-working, some other hospitality business, where where there's a core real estate asset involved in the carrying on of that, that trade. But you've got an operating business um, which is symbiotically linked to to the value of of of, of the real estate. And so the two, the two go hand in hand very much uh, together. That's for me.
2: Uh, and Paul, in, in terms of your dealing with perhaps what I would see as the newer emerging segments within operational real estate, PBSA, purpose-built student housing, um, and also uh, senior living. Um how how do you would you define and describe operational real estate?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think I'd agree with Richard in that um, what I see is the distinguishing factor of operational real estate um, in contrast to, to the, the wider uh, real estate um, uh, market is, um, is, is that operational real estate is really where the value of the asset is, is, is underpinned and driven by the quality of the provision of services and the way in which the asset is
2: operated. I see so it's very much if if you're an investor in the opco it's critical that you have at the very least an understanding of the opco piece and in most cases you've got some sort of exposure to the success of that opco piece you have absolutely exposure to it indirectly through the rental stream but often you've got participation too more directly than that
1: uh, absolutely, I think yeah, it's the success of the operational uh, aspects of of, of the
0: uh, of the investment that, that that's driving value. And I think actually that's also the the attraction to operational real estate in itself that you can participate at different levels you can pull different levers and you can create you can add value far much so than you can do if it's if it's a sort of purely dry office type investment
2: and I guess that's been highlighted by um, what went on both in the global financial crisis and with a very deep recession there but spectacularly so during this last period where we've had sort of shutdowns on the supply side in the economy um, the ability to have flexibility um, within how within how you're managing your your investment that that's been critical.
0: Absolutely, absolutely.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, and I, one of the things I found interesting about this, the whole COVID piece, is. Um, Initially one might think actually this is a very big negative against operational real estate because so many of the the verticals within operational real estate, whether that's uh, uh, restaurants and bars, whether that's hotels, um, have been very severely impacted. Indeed on the PBSA side, Paul, we saw a number of the providers have to hand back cash, um, um, but actually the interest uh, as if anything accelerated over this period period as people have got their heads around well look you know you're going to have these once in a lifetime kind of events like um, COVID but overall the appeal and the ability to to actually control your investment a little bit more outweighs any negatives with regard to to these potential risks. It's a sharing of the risks on the downside, but in particular, what's attracting the investors right now is that they want a piece of the action as we get towards the upside. Um, and, And in terms of that, Getting a piece of the action towards the upside, um, I mean, critical to that are the um, legal structures underpinning the relationships between the Opco and the Propco. Um, Richard, coming to you, I, th- I think probably the hotel sector has been at the cutting edge of this for, well, for at least a couple of decades in terms of the the. Sp- the division between the well we have called it the bricks and the brains but property investors don't tend to like being called bricks I don't think but <laughs> um, um, so, uh, do you think we are the pioneers within
0: hotels I'd like to think that, 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 that we are because, as you say, we, we have had this split from, from hotels historically being owned by the brands and the real estate owned by the brands. And there's, there's been that bifurcation into a lot more sort of opco, propco management agreement structures. So I think the um, other sectors have a lot to learn from hotels in terms of the, those the different opco, propco structures and different ways of, of operating a business. Absolutely.
2: All right. Um, and Paul, are we seeing now in the bits of operational real estate you're involved with, the PBSAA and the senior living piece, um, are we seeing some of the franchising and management contract type structures coming coming into fruition there as well?
1: yeah i mean management contracts yes um so whilst there are a significant number of well-established owner operators there's also some uh some some long-standing uh third party operators who have strong track records of managing uh buildings within the pbsa sector on behalf of um the, the, the 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 property owners um, and so that that's really when we when we're seeing uh, new entrants coming into the sector, what they would really be looking towards is that operational expertise uh, of one of the third party operators uh, in order to to manage the assets on their behalf. Um, what we're not really seeing, or, or is perhaps not as advanced as. Um, what you see in the, the hotels world is, is, is the, the franchise type arrangements uh, where um, established brands um, are offering investment opportunities to, to franchisees to, to, to come in.
2: Do you think that's a matter of time? Do you think that's going to come?
1: I think certainly it will come and then certainly it's something that that will sort of um, develop across all of the the living sectors over time, uh, particularly as we see um, living um, as a more sort of blended offer in the market um, with with different strands of living, whether it be student housing, co-living, Senior living, uh, as they all come together, and and and, uh, and and you see a greater sort of merger of the different aspects of living. I think um, certainly we're, we're likely to see um, structures that are more akin to those which which um, which which we've seen in the, in the hotels world for a long time.
0: And, mm. and, and in that vein, actually, I would just add: if you look at the hotel sector, increasingly, Andrew, we've seen over the last ten years or so uh, a greater shift by the big brands away from. Management agreement structures predominantly to doing much more um, sort of 50/50 sort of franchising arrangements because it's it's, it's better margin typically in, in franchising opposed to management um, and also it's just to help them sort of grow their grow their brands faster.
2: Yeah, and we, we've talked about the um, uh, the further divide, the bricks, brawn, and brain divide. Which <laughs> again, probably for the Hopco's, isn't isn't thrilling to be seen as just pure muscle, but um, um, but but it does help clarify exactly what the the, the roles are within all the different uh, um, value uh, places of value creation yeah. within the different businesses. I think, um,
0: and within that, of course, it allows um, people to to enter at different parts of that ecosystem and, 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 and take different stakes. So you've got different levers you can pull and you, you, you benefit on the operation side, the brand side, the, um, the, the property side is overall, to, over, overall to sort of try and increase the yield.
2: Hmm. and one of the things of uh, we're really picking up is the interest and excitement that's that's there within institutional investors pension funds insurance companies we're seeing them move much more aggressively into this space not just in taking fixed leases which they've been doing for for a number of years now but in getting direct exposure to the to the opco piece um they, they seem to be getting much more uncomfortable with the whole notion of of taking a slice of the opco what is it this evolution of some of these sort of uh legal structures that you think have facilitated that
0: i think they've certainly facilitated but also i think it's the recognition of of yield and that by investing in the operational side of the business you can you can you can generate a greater yield and so these institutions are recognizing that yes they need their their very sort of traditional dry fixed yield uh, investments but they can also have a alongside that uh another series of other investments which which have where the yield can be variable because as we see you sort of trade up and down the cycles but actually overall the the, the net yield is is higher than your your very um, safe and secure fixed yield.
2: I see. And, and in, in terms of this on, on, the, on your side of the um, divide or the in, in terms of the, the different verticals, uh, Paul, uh, what are you seeing as the particular appeals within uh, PBSA? I mean, it's undoubtedly the case that the yields have been strong and that's led to a great deal of attraction from investors and indeed on the, on the senior living side. Uh, is, that, is, is it yield that's been the key driver?
1: Yeah, well, I think the the drivers in in both sectors are really the 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 demand and and, and the, the the supply and demand imbalance uh, within the the sectors. Um, so if you take um, PBSA, um, the demand for UK higher education still remains strong, and and the the UK uh, the UCAS numbers um, are showing that we, we're having record number of applicants um, uh, to, for for. For further education in the UK, uh, we've forecast that that's set to continue. And and I I think if you look across all of the the living sectors, I think it's it's seen as a relatively secure investment uh, by those types of investors that you mention, particularly in a difficult economic climate. Because I think accommodation is seen as essential spending, um, and rents are generally keeping up with inflation. Um, And I think. In the PBSA space, um, an economic downturn can also increase student numbers where there's a, a potential glum outlook on employment prospects
2: there's a double win you're a, a sort of counter cyclical and also an inflation hedge that's a, a very attractive proposition I think and um, the other thing I think that that uh, institution investors like about uh, um, operational real estate it, it is matching their income alongside their liabilities so if they're a pension fund um, that steady drip drip of income from the operational pieces is, is very helpful um, in terms of their in terms of their liability exposure as well I'd, I would suggest is one of the, the big appeals within that. Um, did, uh, Paul, just to stick with you in terms of this uh, uh, living sector that you were describing there, one of the things we're really seeing is this blurring of boundaries between, uh, it's very hard to say, you know, uh, PBSA is going into this sort of co living, which is. Sp- sort of recent graduates uh, um, and then that's going into um, more sort of multi-family and that that kind of uh, uh, evolution as well, the co-living piece and all of that. Um, How fit for purpose do you think the the current regulatory and planning regimes are um, for dealing with this very rapidly changing environment?
1: Well, I, I I think you're right, um I think you're right, Andrew, that, that the the future as I see it in, in the living space is that we're going to see a lot more um, blended schemes coming to the market, or developers looking to bring those blended schemes to the market, where you've got um, student housing sitting alongside co-living, sitting alongside senior living, um, to really create communities. Um, uh, but I think, as, as you've just said, one of one of the biggest impediments to that is is, is the is the, the the planning system, and I think there there's a need for um, uh, for, for some reform there. In order to uh, see these blended schemes being brought forward. Um, I mean, if you look at senior living, for example, um Uh, There's a strong political pressure for more development of senior housing. Um, But planning is a big issue and there's been some well-publicized controversial refusals from local uh, planning authorities. Um, One of those refusals was of an LNG scheme that was uh, partly on the grounds that it would undermine the vitality and viability of a town centre. Thankfully that decision was overturned on appeal. Um, but I think those long and costly appeal processes are hampering growth of of, of, of blended living, if, if, if you like, within the UK.
2: I see. And in, in terms of the um, growth of these different uh, verticals um, and as they, they cross over into e- each other, um, how important are is the evolution of the new structures in terms of because pbsa essentially was grew out of a fixed lease model and now that's adapting quite markedly isn't it um and and do you think the future schemes are going to be much more based on more flexible leases sort of um, based on turnover and also in terms of this management contract structure
1: yeah I, th- I think that's right and I, I think um, in the particularly in the PBSA space there, there's a lot more direct let um, uh, so, so owner operators directly let into the student market um, than uh, the long income strip uh, leases um, uh, uh, that, we, that, that you also see now
2: that's direct let. Um, which is a, as opposed to the sort of making a, a deal with the, the university um, to actually run the accommodation on behalf of the university, and the university lets it out.
1: That's right, Di- direct lets to to students. So the the owner operators letting directly to the uh, to the students. We are still seeing and and and. Uh, ties with universities so we're still seeing the, the kind of uh, nominations agreements um uh, the, and and we're also seeing the, the, the long leasehold structures um uh, which which provide a, a, a an income strip
2: um, one of the interesting aspects of the growth, particularly of PBSA, we've remarked about several times on this podcast, actually, it are the parallels that you have, not just in terms of the agreements, but in terms of the evolution of the sector as well. So in the case of PBSA, there's there is a lot of parallels with the evolution of the budget hotel market in the UK, um, just as budget hotels came in and really replaced um, a lot of supply the uh, mom-and-pops as the Americans call them the uh, owner operated bed and breakfasts and that sort of thing what we're seeing with uh, PBSA it's coming in replacing houses of multiple occupation Um, is, is is that something you you think is agree with and you think is a big route to growth for the sector?
1: I think, you know, we've undoubtedly got um, issues in the UK in terms of housing supply. And certainly um, I see that, that, that the growth of, of PBSA is, is in part addressing the, 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 the wider um, housing supply issues.
2: I see. Um, Richard, coming to you um, with some thoughts over in terms of the hotel sector and how the hotel sector is uh, blending with these other asset class verticals uh, i mean one of the things we've noticed at hotel analyst is some of the key um figures personalities within hotels moving across into pbsa or into build to rent schemes and that sort of thing it's this notion that these other verticals are you know in need of the expertise we have within hotels
0: absolutely I think um, we've talked before about this sort of quotes hotelification quotes of of these other sectors because fundamentally we the experience economy is 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 is, is certainly the direction of, of travel and within that hospitality where this is what we do therefore just sort of uh, transfers quite naturally into um, co- co-working senior living student accommodation um so I think that the 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 and a lot of the models, such as management management agreements, also sort of transfer very naturally into the into these other um other verticals or or, or sort of sub asset classes within the overall um, umbrella of operational real estate.
2: We're getting towards the end of the podcast now, so I'm going to ask you both to sort of look into your crystal balls and think about where we're heading in the future. Um, what 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 are do you see as some of the biggest challenges and what are some of the biggest opportunities and quite possibly they overlap there Mm -hmm. so um, Paul I'd like to start with you on that one
1: yeah, I mean, if if you start with student housing, the sector's now valued at around sixty billion pounds, with four point one billion invested last year, and uh, a recent report indicates that investors are looking to inject at least another fourteen billion into the sector. Um, I think for me, the biggest constraints on that uh, are on the development pipeline, and and so developers um, are are facing constraints um, in terms of um, rising land values, build cost, inflation inflation uh, and increasingly difficult planning regimes um, that are impacting on the pipeline of new developments. Um, and so whilst we're seeing at the moment a lot of activity in the market um, with the well-established owner operators um, being incredibly in- um, acquisitive, and there's a strong appetite from those players to further consolidate and grow their portfolios. I think the opportunities for new investors to come into the sector um, are, 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 are becoming fewer um, because of the constraints on the development pipeline. Um, And likewise, if we look at senior living, um, the the, the drivers um, of demand are quite clear There, we've got um, an ageing population in the UK that's projected to continue to age uh, and the change in demographics, the shift in perceptions about retirement living. accelerated by the pandemic, um, together with the need to address the the wider UK housing issues um, is undoubtedly driving demand. Um, I think the biggest um, impediment, I think, in the uh, to growth in the senior living space at the moment is the uh, perhaps lack of operational expertise uh, because it's very much in a in, in early stages and uh, embryonic uh, perhaps at the stage of evolution where student housing was 10 to 15 years ago um, there's a need to develop stronger um, operational expertise within the uk in, in order to uh, meet the 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 demand for for new developments um, uh, in that sector.
2: Oh that's great. There's there's an obvious threat there f- straight away, um, Richard, from for the hoteliers that, in, that they could well <laughs> be seeing some key executives <laughs> jump across to deliver that uh, operational expertise. But <laughs> but but the wider point um, on on threats and opportunities.
0: I think from the hotels' perspective, the the opportunities are very significant. Obviously, there are some. Quite short-term, possibly medium-term um, macroeconomic challenges and inflation, that, and other that we we'll, that we're very aware of that we'll be facing. But the underlying fundamentals of of hotels and travel are very very strong, and I think COVID demonstrated more than anything that actually people have this. We as we want to travel, we want to experience new new cultures. We remember experiences. We've. Um, the, um, and that's the sort of um, generation rents is much more into experiencing things than actually owning things. So I think the underlying fundamentals are, are very, 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 very strong. And the other uh, great attraction is, is that from an investment perspective, you, there's lots of different levers that you can, you can pull within hotels, whether it's repositioning. You can also trim your sales to respond to um, uh, sort of downturns in trading. And you, so I think that there's lots of different things that you can re, you can reposition, you can refurbish. So there's lots of I think that that angle also provides a sort of a, a, a hedge overall to, to the investment where you can, as I say, you can pull different levers. So I think the, the there are some there are some challenges that we're coming. How how I think seem to be a wide range of views as to um, how persistent inflation is going to be, and you know we need to focus a lot more on on the, the core inflation rather than certain certain aspects of inflation, which in terms of fuel and utility costs are absolutely pretty eye-watering in terms of the the, the increases. Um, So yeah, I'm I'm overall actually very, I think COVID has made me even more optimistic in the long-term future of the hotels and hospitality industry
2: great the biggest ever shock we've ever seen within the sector the biggest downturn we've ever had has actually made us realize just what a good thing we've got in the in the hospitality space i, I completely concur with that um thank you paul thank you richard um to find out more and um, both paul and richard are on the program of um, the operational real estate festival go to wwwop op-re.com and find
0: out more with that we'll say goodbye for now